Well, good morning, folks. Today, we, we're going to continue our study of the Gospel of Mark together. We're entering into an interesting phase. I, I told you uh, that the Gospel of Mark sets up a confrontation by Jesus with all of the major groups who were impeding God's desire for justice. And uh, today we're going to encounter stories in which uh, we see Jesus now pivoting from his acceptance of his mission, his temptation, his acceptance of his mission and his his initial foray into Capernaum uh, and then time it for prayer in the wilderness and then now re-engaging and now actually uh, conducting something like a, an assault, uh, if you will. And, and when I use that word, I'm talking about uh, something that uh, I'll be talking about later, actually, the Freedom Riders is one example in our time when, when uh, Christians... Uh, uh, made a decision to engage in order to disrupt uh, the social order that was depriving uh, many, many Christians of life. Uh, and, and I'm referring to uh, the period in the right, right about the time I was born, uh, when, when uh, they challenged you guys like John Lewis and other freedom riders challenged the segregation laws on interstate uh, bus travel. Uh, so we'll be talking more about that in a little bit. But uh, the important point is that Jesus is engaging in this uh, in, in the stories we read today, one of those particular groups, and that is the group that we've called scribes. And I've, I've mentioned to you um, in, in, in the translation by Eugene Peterson that Tom read to us of, of this gospel lesson, uh, Peterson translates it as uh, religious scholars. And I, I want to suggest to you that that's not really a helpful translation to the extent that it makes it about religion. Uh, the scribes certainly were about, uh, they were those of, of any political party that had the authority, the power to interpret the rules by which the community lived. Um, and so scribes certainly would have included religious scholars, but it's a it's a more broad group, certainly in our time today, uh, particularly when I when we hear uh, about our cancel culture and about wokeness and all these other things. We see folks, you know, acting as scribes, trying to uh, guide us in the way we are to live by interpreting the uh, United States Constitution, our values and, and, and other uh, other other aspects of our culture in order to guide the way uh, we should live. So uh, scribes, let's interpret scribes more um, broadly as we encounter these stories today. I want to get into this by talking about the debt code. Uh, we're going to actually talk about two things, the debt code and the purity code, a little bit of background information uh, that's really important for us to understand the story and what Jesus is doing and to see the profound nature of what we read today in Mark's gospel. Um, the debt code uh, was uh, something that was a, a part of um, the, the the culture of uh, of. Palestine, uh, and it, it it arises from Torah. Uh, and if you remember the story of Cain and Abel, where uh, th there was a struggle in the Garden Eden over over honor and glory, and 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 uh, who God loves more than each other, and of course Cain slew Abel. Uh, you know the debt code is a is aimed at helping the people control those impulses uh, uh, that it calls us to be aggressive with one another and to deprive others of life in, in the possibility of flourishing. 
Uh, it is the, the debt code is uh, the basis of our covenantal relationship with God. It is it describes our debt to God. You know, our, our debt of, of God arises from God's providential nature. And it also describes our covenantal relationship with each other. Purpose is to help of the debt code was for uh, the Jews to promote uh, the justice that God desires for us to be blessed with uh, throughout the community. Uh, and it does that by regulating the way we live. Uh, and, and the premise underlying the debt code is the is God's providence. The fact that we that uh, we make our daily bread. Well, the, the you know the day, most of our daily bread is actually made by God in the in the in, in, through the sunshine and the rain and the in the seeds and the wheat that then grows. We have roles to play, but the beginning point of all that is we receive life as a gift. We receive our sustenance as a gift, and uh, and and and. Uh, grace is the source of all of our blessings that that sustain us. And because of that, uh, the debt code then carries forth in saying that, well, just as God gives to us, we too are to carry on that gift giving practice. And we are to give to, especially to all those who lack sustenance and, and, um, and that means uh, if we do that, if we live in such a world where we take responsibility uh, for sharing our bread with others, well, then we avoid the issues that the Ten Commandments describe, coveting our neighbor's property, coveting the life that our neighbor has. It is so much better than my life. Have you ever felt that before? Have you ever said, I am so sick of my life, I want a life like hers? Uh, it helps us to avoid those kinds of things and other blessings, including those that are more materialism. So, so as a result of the debt code, what we hear uh, in, in, in the recounting of the law, it says that, you know, hey, of course, there won't be any poor persons among you. If you do what I say, you won't have this problem. Let there be no poor among you is the way this is most often translated. Deuteronomy 15, verse 4. Of course, there won't be any poor persons among you because the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance. But only if you obey these instructions about how to live. So the debt code is an important facet, and it's it's it uh, it is what created a social hierarchy. It's created it's what created the the structures of uh, of the society. This this indebtedness to God and indebtedness to to, this, to each other organized uh, the, the you know the life of of ancient Israel and and of the Jews in Jesus's time. And it was and, it, and I wanted to. To clarify, in, in order to distinguish it from our own situation today, it was rooted in an understanding about reciprocity and also an understanding about this gift exchange. Uh, and, it, and it presupposed the ideal of forgiveness, love your neighbor as yourself. And in, 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 in real practical terms, that, uh, in, that forgiveness of, of debts was manifest in things like every seven years, um, 
being uh, being freed of your uh, your your servitude if you had become a slave. And then the great jubilee every 50 years uh, in which uh, you were freed of all debts. Uh, they were all just nil so that we all were able to be free of those, our debts to each other and then begin a new life. And of course, social power, we've talked about this before in this time, was based on uh, something of a caste system, uh, but certainly upon family uh, groups, uh, bloodlines, much like uh, we see in, in parts of our world today. Now, uh, lest you say that we don't have a debt code, I want to remind you that we in America have something very similar, but ours isn't rooted in this gift exchange notion, nor is it really as, an, as Americans rooted in forgiveness, uh, though we Christians who are American hopefully root our citizenship in forgiveness. Uh, ours is rooted instead in something we call the social contract, this way of living under law together, uh, and also in this mechanism we, that, that our freedom creates called market exchange. And, and what that then creates, because it's a different, it's a different basis of society, it creates a, a social power that is not based on your kinship or your class, but rather on your ability to impact the markets that are the basis of our sustenance, your ability to, to impact, including that, the, the labor markets and my ability to uh, have social mobility, which we're going to be talking about. So it's a very different basis for us. And we also have things that uh, that are that relate to the things we're going to be talking about today. Uh, there are things that, that in addition to, um, you know, the, the economic debts, when we hear debts, when we hear the, you know, forgive us our debts, we, we often... Um, think in economic terms, and I would say most of us almost exclusively think that that's referring to economic debts. But but you can think about even in our society, we have moral debts, such as the one that several of us uh, satisfied in terms of American citizenship uh, by serving in the military. Uh, uh, some of you may have served in the Peace Corps, you know, finding ways. Many of you I do know are very actively and have been, continue to be involved in serving the community, certainly through the church. Uh, one other duty that, uh, one other duty in, in the sense of debt that that we have is uh, that, that that underlies our social contract and our market economy is that we will listen to experts uh, that we will submit ourselves to to exert. So there is a bit of a hierarchy based on professionalism that we have in our country. So that's the debt code, and that's something that we're going to see Jesus engaging in a really fundamental way uh, today in our story. So next, I want to talk about the purity code, and uh, the purity code is all about ordering the material world around us. Now, if you think that we don't think that, I want you to imagine, uh, how would you feel if I came and dumped a, a big shovel full of manure right there on your carpet in your living room when I visited you? Um, you would probably have some problem with that. And that implies uh, that there is a purity code that I would be um, provoking. I would be um, violating that is implicit that it may not be even aware of but but there are a lot of little rules that we have you know if i came and i put my shoes on your dining room table if you found uh, if you know if you, you came to someone's house and you saw that they, they were keeping cooking utensils in the bedroom or or if you see somebody you just at the store and they got food uh on their clothing or even if you're talking to your loved ones and you say eh, you got something right here you're you're really acting in the form of a purity codes things are 
out of order. Uh, another example, if you had bathroom equipment uh, in your family room, you'd say, eh, that's that's not clean. Uh, and, but but same, to same token, what if you saw somebody, you know, walking nude or walking out uh, in the in the neighborhood just in what is obviously their underwear? It would provoke something in you, trigger something in you that would say something is not right here. And that's what purity codes are all about. Now, in the time of Jesus, the Jewish ordering uh, was based upon, uh, you know, there were, there were pretty, pretty regimented order of, of um, how the world was ordered in terms of purity. And there was a ranking that, that the rabbinical literature shows us. And if you notice at the very top in terms of ranking in terms of the most pure uh, would be priest. And if you notice, you go down that list, uh, you know, they're, the Israelites are number three. And so there are people who are not Israelites uh, that might be uh, converts to uh, Judaism. You got slaves and you got people who have had some form of physical malady, some form of physical um uh, challenges that would be, you know, less pure. And then you have uh, those without a penis, uh, which, 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 which ought to concern us. You noticed at the very bottom of that cleanliness would be females. Um, so in the, in terms of, of purity. Uh, and so you, you know, you, you probably have seen this and read about this in, even in today's society where it would have been an appropriate uh, for uh, the the Syrophoenician woman to come up to Jesus within their society and initiate a conversation, uh, that would be violating a, a, a sense of their social order. Similarly, they or they regimented their space. So there's a, a purity ranking in in terms of space that began at the very top was the holy of holies. That's where you encountered God. And only one person a year was allowed to go into the Holy Holies, which is within the temple in Jerusalem. But then beneath that, uh, you see it, it, it basically it'd be like taking a walk from the Holy Holies out from the temple. So you go from the sanctuary, then you go out the porch and the altar. Then you go into a and that you're descending in these these courts that are part of the temple uh, architecture through the court of the priest. Then down below another uh, uh, setting uh, on the terrace, the court of the Israelites and then another terrace, the court of women. And then you then you descend the temple mount and you and then as you, and, then, and then the whole world is ordered because you go uh within Jerusalem, and then then all the cities that are of Israel, the promised land, and then everything else, you know, so in terms of purity, there, there, you know, the further you get from Jerusalem, the less pure you are uh, in there, in, in, in a sense of, uh, of boundaries. And, uh, and so think about if you're, our story's taking place in Galilee, very far from, um, from uh, the temple, so that made it pretty low in that ranking. And you also had pollution and, you know, and sort of like the manure example I gave uh, that came from contact with things. And so the worst kind, the, 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 the most egregious thing would be to contact someone else with your own semen or urine or spittle or anything, you know, several of those bodily fluids of your own. Um, uh, and, and the next would be for you to touch a woman who is menstruating and then touch anything, you Anyone who, who's, who's touching a dead thing, whether it's a human or, or an animal, all of those things would be considered unclean. You would be by very by very by the very act of touching them, you yourself would be contaminated, would be unclean. And the problem with that is you need to become ritually cleansed. 
Similarly, there was a hierarchy of time there in terms of purity. So the holiest of all days is the Sabbath day. And then you see the rankings there of, of the various holy days, Passover, the Day of Atonement, all the way down to Rosh Hashanah, and then all other days. And so that meant that there were certain days that were set apart for you to give to God and not to other things. And if you violated those things, well, then you are doing something that is impure. And that threatened the whole community. And I just want to mention that um, this pollution behavior, when we feel that there is something that is polluting us, well, it's our reaction when we are simply condemning an idea or an object, and and and, uh, and because that idea is likely to confuse or um, challenge our most cherished classifications by which we are ordering our world, and and uh, and so we can, we call things unclean. Yes, we call things clean and unclean. In, uh, in the Bible, but the, but in our own society, we have this notion of clean and unclean categories. Uh, if you listen to the podcast, uh, you've heard uh, Dr. Boyle talk about the very notion, our use of language of white, whiteness, white and black. And so the opposite, you know, white being pure and good. Well, the opposite of that is the name that uh, in our society we have given to those people that we enslaved and then become free legally. Uh, and, and, and But we've created a, a hierarchy of human value just with our language there, this notion of clean and unclean. And in terms of our purity codes, uh, you know, we still have this type of, of uh, purity code at work in our own country, I would suggest, just by looking at the fact that we are more segregated today than in our schools than we were uh, when, when I was going to school. In, in the 1970s, when the, when the Supreme Court uh, ordered federal, uh, you know, ordered busing of our public schools. Uh, well, we're, we're now more segregated than we were before that. And in our communities, uh, the most segregated community in the United States is Milwaukee. Uh, and uh, we have become increasingly segregated in in, uh, in Chicago, Milwaukee, you know, you know, many, many, many parts of our country uh, such that um, it affects people's opportunity to flourish. And we're going to be talking about that. Now, the problem with all this, this debt code and this, this purity code, if you are one of those people that the Bible calls the people of the land, that is the, the people who are the peasantry, the people who are not artisan class or above, uh, well, it's it, it's it's a it's a real problem for you to conform with all these rules uh, because it's 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 very expensive. You know, j- the daily work that's available to you um, would expose you to being contaminated, conta- you know, becoming you know uh, uh, expose you to contagion. Like, uh, for example, in the in the in India, if you're familiar with the Untouchables, one of the tasks given to the Untouchables is they deal with the uh, human feces, and and that makes them unclean. Well, so, too, there were people who dealt, dealt on a daily basis with the dead. Uh, and these were the jobs that were were uh, left to the folks uh, who didn't have all the land and all the wealth. And, and that was so there are many jobs, whether you're tanning leather or anything like that, that would make you unclean just as a part of your work. Um, and. Uh, and it becomes expensive to to uh, comply with what the what the faith requires in in terms of of becoming you know f- you know becoming clean so that you can enter into uh, the redemptive space of the temple. Uh, you have first of all, if you live in Galilee, you have to walk eight days 
uh, and then you have to you have to submit yourself to someone who's in power over you, who has the ability to say yes or no to you, and then offer them something of financial. Uh, you have to do a gift exchange. You have to. It may be just a mite. It may be a pigeon. It may be a lamb. It may be a bull. You have to offer something, uh, and then then you become you you are declared clean. And then so you're able to access the redemptive spaces of the temple. So it's expensive. And so you don't get great compliance. Uh, and, and the other problem with that is it's a power game. You, if you are of that 90 percent who are the peasantry, you're the people of the land. Well, the, the ones who are making the rules about how you how you are able to move about and, and, and just live are those people that we call scribes because they're the ones who are interpreting all the rules about uh, pollution, about, about, about purity and, uh, and the debt code. And one of the distinctions between the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Essenes and the other political parties, just as uh, we have distinctions between the Democrats and the Republicans and, and other parties in the United States, was how liberally uh, the parties believed we should provide access to our redemptive media, to 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 our means of grace, uh, to to our means of, of of flourishing, how liberally should we provide that? So I want to give you an example. I've been reading a biography of Martin Luther King that is absolutely fascinating, and I've been reading about the Freedom Riders. And there's this this during the story of the Freedom Riders. You probably guys probably remember it. Uh, the Freedom Riders are the ones who were testing the um, the rules of segregation in various spaces. But in this particular space, it had to do with an interest interstate travel on buses. Of course, you know, if you're traveling interstate on buses, you're, you get on a bus in Georgia you, and, you, and you go through Alabama, you're going to the bus is going to stop and it's going to stop in Birmingham and it's going to stop in Montgomery and it's going to stop. in uh, before that, it's going to stop in Anniston. Uh, and uh, and as you as you get off the bus to catch, you know, to use the bathroom, to get some food, et cetera, uh, you enter into a waiting room, you immediately encounter waiting rooms that were, were segregated. So one of the things that was fascinating to me was uh, the Freedom Riders got off the bus. Let's just take, we could take the example of Aniston, Birmingham, or Montgomery, because it happened in all three places. But I'm talking about Birmingham because this was a serious event. They get off uh, there and then they, the, the, the uh, white segregationists knew that they were coming and had massed uh, uh, in rage, they were carrying lead pipes and knives and bricks and all other types of, of instruments of violence. And as the Freedom Riders got off the bus, there was a big riot. The, their suitcases ended up being burned. There were there were uh, now white and black Freedom Riders, uh, and and uh, they ended up getting pounded, hit with bricks and hit with lead pipes. Uh, one of Bobby Kennedy's, uh, uh, Attorney General Bobby Kennedy's uh, assistant, his executive assistant. Assistant uh, got hit with a lead pipe and and was concussed. But there was this incredible outrage, and what precipitated the event was that there were white freedom riders and black freedom riders who sat together in the waiting room, and that was what provoked it. And there was this violation of the way that the, that we had ordered our society in the South at that time that was just simply unacceptable. It was a th- great threat to all. 
Well, this as a result of this riot, there were all these injuries, and so they, these freedom riders were trying to escape. And in, in order to escape, they there were some taxi riders there. There were there were some black-owned taxis. There were some white-owned taxis. But they had a rule that said if you were a black taxi driver, you must not let a white person in your taxi, or you'll lose your license, and vice versa. And so they're trying to escape. They go to the taxi, and there's a white freedom rider and a black freedom rider. They all get into the taxi. They're just trying to escape the mob, and the black taxi rider won't let the white person in the taxi because he knows that he himself will be attacked for allowing these two things, this white and this black people to mix in a taxi. Uh, And this was 1960, uh, yeah, 1960, 1961, uh, when this happened, I believe. I'm not quite sure of the dates, but uh, it was right about then. Um, And then, and then, so as a result of all these injuries, uh, there there was a white hospital that, that uh, because of their law of segregation would not take any of the black casualties could not because that would violate the way that the society, the way we had ordered our society. And, uh, and, and, and when when asked why the governor, uh, when, when the governor was asked, when the chief of police was asked, when the uh, state uh, police uh, uh, head was asked, you know, why why did you not stop the mob? Uh, they would their language would continually excuse the mob because that their responsibility wasn't to stop uh, wasn't to protect the freedom riders free access to places their their responsibility by law was to enforce the segregation laws of the state of Alabama so uh, lest we think that we are free of any of these pollution codes, these purity codes, uh, it's, it's, it's part of our lifetime. And, and I would maintain that those things still exist, although they're no longer in law, thankfully. All of this is background for us to now enter into our story and see what Jesus does when he encounters this type of distorted uh, way of life, this this way of taking the, the blessings that God has given and distorting them through a, a wrongly ordered uh, society in which the people of the land are not allowed to, to be to benefit from the blessings that God attends. And so what we see is that a man with skin disease approached Jesus. He fell to his knees and begged, if you want, you can make me clean. Now, as we read that, what we ought to know is that, well, this is a this is a person. Uh, the, the the Bible uses the word for leprosy. It could be any of Leviticus. It could be any of seventy skin disorders, um, and uh, and it's, it's, so so in most translations it calls this person a leper, uh, and and and. A leper is someone who has a contagious disease, but in order to be made clean, well, no one can make them clean. Uh, There was no cure, but the only person who had the authority to declare them clean was a priest, a priest, a member of the highest purity code down there in Jerusalem. So, but this man came to Jesus and seeing something in him with faith, perhaps having heard the stories about him says, he gives an a word of faith that we're going to see again and again. If I just know if you wanted to, Jesus, you could make me clean. You could have the authority to declare me to do that, which only priest can do. Jesus, it says, incensed 
incensed, and 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 we believe the scholars will will usually say that the, the he's incensed at what he knows this person has gone through. The fact that there is a leper, he's clearly been uh, trying to operate within the hierarchy, and he he feels without hope. He's he's in despair. He is a leper. He's segregated from the rest of the people. He can't go into the temple. He can't he can't do the things that most of us can do. And Jesus did something that is where I, this is where I'm describing an assault on the, the uh, symbolic order. Jesus does that, which he absolutely must not do. He touches the man. He dares to do that, which uh, society says you must not do. He was now, he made himself unclean according to the social order. But instead what happened is he touched him and he says, I do want to be clean. And instantly the disease left him and he was clean. Now, this is quite remarkable. This is in, this was an instantaneous cleansing, but uh, of of disease. But it was something that was absolutely unheard of in history. Uh, this capacity and in, in, in doing this was akin to raising someone from the dead because a leper was essentially someone who was dead, just waiting on the clock to run out. Uh, in, in in a very short order. Um, and then Jesus sent him away, and again, sternly, and he says, now go back to the people that I know you've already been to, because you have to be before you can be declared unclean. Don't say anything to anyone. Go, and now do what the law says. Show yourself to the priest. He will see for himself that now you were clean, and let him uh, formally welcome you back into our society. Offer the sacrifice that that is required. In other words, do the gift giving that you were required to do for your cleansing that is now actually uh, something that has happened. And uh, just your act will show those scribes that they do not have the power. They do not have the authority to do that, which I have just done. So he's challenged the power that the scribes are claiming for themselves here. So then later we see that Jesus is at Capernaum. We have a different story now. A couple of days have passed. And uh, and, and the uh, reading in this by, by uh, Tom from Eugene Peterson's The Message, again, uses the word paraplegic. The, the, uh, the person was uh, paralytic. The person was immobilized. And he was, he was laying in something like a, a poor man's blanket or a soldier's bedroll kind of thing. That's how they carried him. That's what the words are in the Greek. Uh, we don't know what the cause was. So paraplegic is probably not a helpful translation. It could have been anything that causes us to be immobilized. Now, I would urge us to read this story, to hear this story in a very broad sense, because there are some things that can immobilize us that are not just about our legs, but we can be just in the fetal position because of what life has done to us. Uh, we have both physical and mental disorders that do this to us. And so let's as we as we read this story and we perhaps experience these things, let's put ourselves in that story. These men, his friends uh, can't get through the crowd. So they they, they go to this roof. Now, in, in the architecture, the roof is um, is is a flat earthen roof with uh, with some some beams. And then they just filled it in with sod. And so they excavate. It must have been real interesting if you're part of the crowd down there below. And you say, oh, my gosh, someone is uh, is <laughs> is digging through the roof. It doesn't Mark doesn't tell us much about that. That must have been a fascinating part of the story. But no, what he pays attention to is what happens when they had an opening. They were able to lower the man's bedroll. And, and, and the man saw his friend's faith. It's not the man's faith in this case. And he simply looks at the man and says, child, 
your sins are forgiven. Now, again, as the scribes spoke immediately, you know, they, they saw what was happening and they started muttering, how, how can he speak this way? He, he, this is blasphemy. That's the, that was the thing that scribes could pronounce, that the priest could pronounce. Blasphemy was the thing that they were to protect the people from. That was their job. We must not allow blasphemy because that's an offense to God. And so they're saying, basically, Jesus, if Jesus is saying that, that he is forgiving these sins, well, then he is blaspheming. And I'm mentioning that I want you to remember that because if you look forward to this, actually look back to Good Friday, you look forward to when we get to the end of the Gospel of Mark, blasphemy is what Jesus is going to be convicted of that will lead to his crucifixion. So this is the first time we see this in the Gospel. Why does he speak this way? Only the one true God can forgive him, can forgive sins. This is blasphemy. So now the scribes have been have gotten the memo. They know this Jesus is going to be challenging and threatening their authority. And he does it right away. Immediately, Jesus recognizes what they're talking about. And he says to them, why do you fill your mind with all these, these questions? What's easier to say to a paralyzed person, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take up your bed and walk. But so you'll know that the human one has authority on earth. The human one comes from Daniel 7. The human one is the, is the one that God would send someday to deliver the people of the land from their, their being ravaged by the classes above them that, that take advantage of them. Uh, and so Jesus is, is naming, naming himself here, the human one, that messianic character from Daniel 7, so that you will know that the human one has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, get up, take your mat and go home. And of course, that's what happened. Folks, the people of the land are suffering. The people of our land are suffering. Our social, hear what you said. our social contract and market exchange, political economy aren't working. Uh, we have a presumption that it that, that it will work. We presumed when we when we organized our particular society that there would be equal opportunity for for all. But we knew from the beginning that that wasn't real. It was more of an aspiration from the beginning because we when we said all men are created equal, we knew that that was not in fact where we started. It's where we wanted to go. And it's who we promised to become as the American people for all the world. We would be, a, a you know, that, that, that city on the hill. That's what we said we would do. But we're, we're not done yet. We've not gotten there yet. Because certain people within our land, certain people of the land, just as in the, in, in the times of Jesus, fail to thrive. And they fail to thrive because of the symbolic order that we ourselves have constructed. And it's one that favors disproportionately white males. Here's a, a, a chart that if you if you uh, read the uh, the essay I wrote about this, uh, you've seen this. This is a data from Raj Chetty, a, a professor from Harvard. And I just wanted you to notice it's a, what it shows is the ranking um, of, in terms of household income uh, by uh, these uh, uh, racial groups. And it, what it's looking at is our mobility, our generational mobility. So we say, you know, we want to have upward mobility for, you know, for all. And what, it, what you notice here is at the very top of the income spread in the United States are our Asian natives and, uh, and, then, and then us whites. Um, and, and then uh, 
we see that we the, that there is good mobility. The one group that is having good, positive, upward mobility in our society uh, right now are the Hispanics. But if you look down towards the left, you see two groups that are just stuck in generational poverty. Blacks and American Indians. And we have to ask ourselves why. Now, there's a great I'm not going to go into that now, but there's a there's an awful lot of good information about that uh, that, that, that uh, helps us to understand why this is true. The, the point and point is that we can do something about it and we ought to because we are to carry on Jesus's work. We are the body of Christ. Jesus in our story today, we see him disrupting this symbolic order, going in and saying, I have the authority, I have the power to make a difference. And so I will. Your sins are forgiven. Get up off your mat and walk and and, and doing that kind of healing. That's the work that we are called to do as the church. We may not know the answers, but we do know the question. How can we disrupt this hierarchical worldview that causes this to be the fate generation after generation for blacks and American Indians in our communities? And then I think the questions we need to ask are how do our notions, our own uh, explicit and implicit notions of purity and debt, as I've discussed them today, factor in to their struggles? How are we making it harder and how can we disrupt those as Jesus did? That's the question. I don't have the answers, but. We ought to be focusing on that question is is what I think uh, arises, uh, is the learning I think that arises from this gospel lesson today. And so the end of the story, Jesus raised him up and right away he picked up his mat and walked out in front of everybody. And then it says the Oklos, the people of the land, the they in there is the people of the land, the the ones that had solidarity with Jesus more than anyone else, the, the poor the disenfranchised, that's the, that's the ones that are talking about here, that they were all amazed and they praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this. Brothers and sisters of St. Stephen's, let us follow Jesus in asking the right questions about our time, about our symbolic ordering of our world. And let's ask how we can make a difference so that the people of the land uh, see the work that we are do, that we do and are amazed and saying, we've never seen anything like this. God is good. God is good all the time. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.